A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. It's the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Oh, my David here with Kieran Murphy and Ken Early. Hi, guys. Hello there. How are We're you? all well, pretty good. We're all welcoming. The world of golf, indeed, is welcoming a new superstar today. He's been compared in the last 24 hours to everybody from Tiger Woods to Byron Nelson, a little more randomly. Of course. <laughs> I mean, we could all see it. I mean, when we when we were watching George Peace across the course of the weekend, I mean, who here wasn't thinking, my goodness. There's Byron Nelson Medflesh once more. <laughs> Murphy, you were you welcome the ascension of Jordan Speed? No, no, I don't. I don't. No, I'll tell you why. He blooming roomy weekend, didn't he? I had I very carefully choreographed this weekend. Mm. Just said that's it. I'm watching. I'm watching the Masters, and no one's going to turn me away from this. I'm watching all of it. I've been banging on about it for the last couple of months. How great it is on television, and all the rest. It's that's it. I'm watching all of it. Yeah, he ruined it. First day, right, well, you know, Jordan Speed. Well, if ever there's a man. He, he, I put him in, in with the Charlie Hoffmans of this world, you know. He'll fall away. That's fine. That's not a problem. Friday comes. He does what he does on Friday. Shoots whatever it was, 468. And um, he, he ruined, the whole thing was just a total non-entity. The guy just closed it out like a seasoned pro, and I hate him for it. I hate you him You didn't enjoy it. the great scenes around Augusta? You look like an extremely popular winner. Uh, a lot of... Much younger looking crowd, maybe. Uh, I don't know. Maybe that was the spillover from Niall Horan's appearance earlier on in I the week. Think, as I think a you can definitely draw a line from the Niall Horan appearance on Wednesday straight to, to the to Butler's uh, Butler's cabin. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Butler's cabin is in itself. I mean, it's it's basically a frat party in there. Um, it's just nothing but fresh faced young go getters in that. 65 to 75 bracket. I'm always. I'm, I, I can only really enjoy the ceremony in Butler's cabin once. Billy Payne has introduced, has done his piece to camera and confirmed that he and Jim Nance of CBS mm. are still good friends. Yeah. Followed by friend. a slightly awkward handshake where they both grab each other's elbows. As Billy, Billy Payne, uh, congratulated, congratulated Jim Nance. <laughs> Congratulations, Jim. This is a great gig you've got here, Jim. Keep it up. You're, <laughs> just, you're earning a lot it. of money covering this event. Yeah, you've met it well to Butler's But yeah, sorry, just to get back to Jordan Speed here, right? It seems, I thought they were absolutely great scenes at the end. I agree with you. Obviously, we're all waiting for Phil Mickelson to, I thought in particular Mickelson was on the edge of doing something. Yeah, I, I didn't had, quite get there. I had no qualms with Jordan Spieth winning it. I just would have liked a mid-round collapse to yeah. make, make things interesting. I was, in, I was struck by the fact Zach Johnson was waiting there for him at the scores hut to congratulate him really warmly. Everybody talking about him afterwards. If they didn't know him, they talked about how good the golf was. If they knew him a bit, they talked about what a great guy hmm. Jordan Spieth was. And it seemed genuine, whereas other previous winners... Um, well, Tiger is an obvious one, but Bubba Watson, even in more recent years, I, I, I think maybe Jordan Spieth's victory is more celebrated in the locker room. Am I fair to say Bubba's not? Well, did you see the that popular necessary? You, you didn't see the poll results. Uh, Golf dot com did uh, uh, basically they pulled all of the or a vast or a huge US uh, uh, selection basically from the US PGA Tour asked eighty players who. Uh, would you help out in a bar room fight? <laughs> Quir- quirky who's, question. Yeah, who's, who's the last person on the US PGA Tour that you would help out? Oh, in the, the bar last room fight? person. Yeah. Okay. And Bubba Watson won it. By much? 
Uh, a quarter of his fellow professionals <laughs> said that they would not help him out in a barroom fight. What is it with Bubba? That's um, harsh enough. Well, but see, Bubba's an interesting guy, you know. He can be very nice. The only thing um, I know about he, him is that he bought that Dukes of Hazard car. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was that was a quirky fact that came out when he after he'd won the first of his US Masters. Went on Twitter and thanked every single person who had congratulated him on Twitter. So he's capable of great well, acts he, of kindness. He, he literally went through 10,000 people. Yeah. That's, well, that's um, nice. To talk to the but then on other on other occasions, he's rubbed people up the wrong way. Uh, his fellow professionals, the country of France. Uh, he went to play the French Open in t- 2011, and uh, <laughs> having given out about uh, all of the the marshalling, uh, the marking out of tee boxes, mm-hmm. uh, getting from hole to hole, just pretty shoddy effort by the French. Mm. Uh, Bubba wasn't impressed. Um, they kind of asked him, "Well, you know, so the golf wasn't great, but how did your?" Uh, what was your, how did you La Belle France? I don't know the names of all the things. The big tower, the Eiffel Tower, an arch, whatever I rode around in a circle. And then what's that? It starts with an L. The Louvre, something like that. I can only imagine what he pronounced the Louvre like. But anyway, one of those. After saying it, it might be his last time playing in Europe, Watson said he would play the British Open in two weeks. Um, he wasn't sure if he would fulfil his commitment to play the Scandinavian Masters in Sweden. I'll play the British Open because it's a major. That's the only reason. I'm going to go go sightseeing real quick and then probably sightsee tomorrow and then get home as fast as possible. Ah, uh, but you know, <laughs> the French are delighted with that, really, because here's Bubba Watson fulfilling every negative stereotype about the American barbarian. Yeah. This is mean, This is making the French feel a lot better about themselves. The big tower. Yeah. That's that's one of the best I've ever heard. Did, uh, I, I presume it's slightly off topic, but uh, a friend of mine was uh, went to see the Notre Dame Cathedral yeah. in America. And, oh, uh, hang on! In America, sorry, not Notre Dame Cathedral. Sorry, oh, not, right, not okay. Notre Cathedral in Paris. It's Notre Dame in Notre Dame. Yes, in, in uh, America. But there were two Americans walking direct in front of them, just as they were entering the uh, cathedral. And so my friend and his sister were looking up at the huge majesty of the inside of the Notre Dame. It's literally yeah. uh, rendered speechless, speechless by the, the size and scale of it all. And uh, the two, <laughs> the large. Male American turns to the large female American and says, "This is a really big church." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and well, after that, I suppose, in fairness, it is a really big church. I don't know, though. I, I think that's unfair. I mean, have you ever been sightseeing? Of course. I mean, it's hard to. Sometimes it's hard to think of things to say. You know? Yeah. Oh, this is lovely. Oh, this is really interesting. It's I mean, nice, sometimes you know nice about anything, and you, and you kind of have to fight the urge to like point out stuff to like your obviously bored companion oh did you know that this <laughs> I really don't care I really couldn't care that's about that mm-hmm. um, yeah I don't know so I, wouldn't, I wouldn't judge anyone harshly in fact that's quite a droll comment I would say I would say yeah I mean that's uh, well it, it's p- uh, pithy I would say yeah. I'd be surprised if Bubba's unpopularity within the locker room comes from him slagging off France no, I'm just going to no, lay out there no, that I would no, say I'd quite say a few of his golf well. colleagues mightn't be too worried that he's that slagging fans off. That played very well with a lot of uh, his <laughs> colleagues. That, that's, the only thing that, that's the only thing that the other 75% liked about Bubba. Yeah, and yeah. On the one hand, jump in yeah, but on the other hand, he really hates France. Oh, one, one thing that I was um, struck by, uh, and you know this already, on, so I'm going to ask you, Kieran. Yeah. Uh, it's reckoned that Jordan Spieth's Masters victory will um, send him rocketing into the top five earners uh, in golf. Yeah. Now, the top three earners in golf are easy enough, I think, to tell. Number one is... Uh, Rory McIlroy. Tiger Woods. Okay. We're, we're not necessarily talking about earnings. As, uh, uh, it's total it's earnings. Total oh, okay. earnings. Okay. Golf plus uh, other okay. income. Yeah. Uh, Tiger Woods, $54.5 million. Second yeah. is Big Phil Nicholson with uh, yeah. with fifty point seven, And third is Rory McIlroy with $49.2 million, So he's yeah. pretty hot in there. Now, who are four and five? Uh, have you told me that Spieth is now in the top five? No, that Spieth should be able to get up into the top five because they reckon his earnings might, he might, they might be able to, he'll do a tour of the talk shows, you know, they'll be, you know, sure, he's just signed that Under Armour deal. Okay. It would have been better maybe if his deal was coming just to an end and he could sign, sign a new deal. But, you know, he can do a tour, a tour of the talk shows. Nothing says he can't get a couple of other sponsors on board and he could end up making, making about $25 million, which would put him fourth ahead of, no, which would put him fifth behind which, uh, and ahead of which golfer? Okay, I'm going to say, right? And it's not it's, Byron Nelson. Yeah, it's not Byron Nelson. But I think you might be onto the right track, would you? Because I've read recently that Arnold Palmer is still making an obscene amount of money 
from golf. That's good. You're good, You're good. Yeah. 85-year-old Arnold Palmer. 85-year-old Arnold Palmer is the fourth biggest earner in golf. If you can. With $40 million worth of income <laughs> in 2015. Number five is... Uh, Jack Nicholas. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's pretty good. Jack uh, Nicholas made twenty-two million dollars last year and is the fifth biggest earner in the sport, despite having been retired for I don't know twenty odd years. Yeah, that is that's quite something. But it's not a short career in golf. No. It doesn't have to be a short career. So not much drama out of Gusta, but plenty of it in Brooklyn on Saturday night. Continues to battle after the bell. He took that shot. Oh, a big shot from Quillen. And they exchange. Lee got the worst of that. Comes back with the right. Once again, Lee is hurt. Uppercut landed by Quillen. And along the right hand, down goes Quillen. Oh, oh, what an exchange. And Third and final, judge at ringside, Glenn Feldman, scores the fight 113 to 113. He has it even. The fight is declared a split draw. Yeah, the American fans not never very happy when a draw is called at any sporting event there, but it was an extraordinary fight. The legendary Marv Albert calling the shots for NBC. Andy Lee was supposed to be defending his WBO World Middleweight title against Peter Quillen, but Kid Chocolate... Uh, failed to make the wait for the fight, giving rise to many hilarious gags uh, on eggs, Twitter, all that, that kind of, of stuff thing, there. Yeah, yeah kid, too much chocolate, all that kind of thing. But uh, they fought anyway, and that was extraordinary. That first knockdown that you heard there, was in the, it was in the first round that Andy Lee suffered. And we're not talking about... There are different types of knockdowns in boxing. Knockdown. Yeah, there are some where you're slightly off balance, as in the later one with Andy when he was actually being trod on by his opponent at the time. But that was a full power shot by Peter Quillen. And Andy looked in serious trouble. You have that shock where you're like, oh, where you're thinking, this could be over. This is, is almost certainly going to be over in the first round. He fought back uh, and slowly got his got his bearings, slowly got on top of, uh, of um, Quillen. Knocked him down, obviously, in the seventh round, as we heard there. Ultimately, I think a draw was probably about a fair enough result. Matt Macklin tweeted, ratio of punches thrown versus excitement, probably the most exciting fight I've seen. Mm. Because it's very strange. There were some rounds where they're circling around each other for almost entire rounds, wary of each other's power and both just not wanting to commit. Then suddenly there'd be those flurries that you heard there in commentary, mm. which were amazing. Yeah, and it was it kind of, in ways, uh, takes you back to the, the time kind of before, basically amateur boxing when they were deciding it round by round, who had won the, the round. And basically... Don't get, don't do anything in the first uh, three quarters of the round, and then try and impress the judges in the last twenty seconds or thirty seconds, and throw a couple of punches that look eye catching and sneak the round that way. Um, but it was just a sensational performance, Andy Lee, to come back, as you say, from uh, the first round and the last seven or eight rounds. Well, the last certainly six rounds, um, Andy was just. Uh, brilliant just a crazy crazy performance by him to get back from the brink like that I don't know whether he will see the knockdown itself that he uh, his knockdown as in when he knocked Peter Quillen down as the turning point or whether it had already begun to turn I think, yeah, I think it had I think yeah. it had begun to turn but there's no harm just reminding Quillen was never going to stay down from that shot but there's no harm just letting him know this is the first time he'd ever been knocked down in his career Quillen was an undefeated fighter Quillen was massive favourite despite Andy being the and he remained massive favourite uh, despite not making the weight and despite Andy being the champion, the WBO champion, I mean, Andy was cut as well above his left eye. Relative, maybe the fourth or fifth round was a, a kind of clash of heads at that stage. So there was all of these things. I mean, he was he was getting that cut closed every, uh, you know, at every break. There the doctor appeared to be checking his jawline at one stage. At one point, there was an issue there. yeah, um, that seemed to be that seemed to be a problem. So there was all of these things. I mean, you'd seen that knockdown in the first round, and you thought, oh no. And, I mean, we were watching through our fingers, thinking, oh no. Um, so to come back from that position was great. I mean, you could see, um, you know, they, they they were showing you close-ups of the fighters in the corners. And uh, after the fifth round, Quillen's coach was saying to him, you own this kid. You own this kid. You got this. And uh, Quillen, you know, that, that was evidently the message he was being given. But by the end of it, 
uh, with one round to go, he's kind of wagging his finger and saying, I need this round. <laughs> we really need this round. So that was indicative definitely of the, of the way in which they felt the, the gap had, uh, had vanished at that stage. We'll get onto that in more detail in a minute, Ken, but the Manchester Derby was the big football, the big Premier League game of the weekend. It features heavily in our football podcast, which people can listen to immediately after this show. Are you putting the result down to Manchester United's resurgence or just the disappearance of Man City? I think a bit of both, really. Uh, I mean, Manchester United played very well. Um, you know, they they played, they gave a real good all-round performance. Maybe they were a little bit lucky with the, you know, the, the, the Matic goal was offside, and that was an important goal. I mean, 2-1 is always a little bit more worrying. Um, but I think that they were well on top already at that stage. If the goal hadn't come down, it would have come at some later stage. I mean, it seemed as though City uh, started brilliantly and then just couldn't sustain it at all. And, and I think from an early point, from more or less shortly after Manchester United's initial equaliser, it looked as though they were going to win. Yeah, City have made, made the error that they've seemed to make in nearly all of the big games that I've seen them play, which is they failed to get David Silva into the game all the time every time I, 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 I watch Man City now so what they need to do now is they need to get David he's not a winger in rugby he's not a corner forward in Gaelic football mm. he's playing in midfield I mean I would say rather than all of this well, unfortunately City have failed to get that David Silva has failed to get into the game yeah. I mean he set up the goal for Aguero uh, with a lovely bit of skill lovely cross and then we just actually didn't see him and for all of the like the uh, from I would say the 30th minute on on Sky the commentary was Yaya Toure letting the team down letting the team down and that was the narrative that they went with as if all of City's problems were encapsulated in Yaya Toure no one else I mean Silva just doesn't get on the ball half enough yeah. I mean he's a flat track bully from what I can see uh, the guy will be absolutely brilliant against Burnley at home um, but when you ask him to actually go and dominate a game against top class opposition, he just can't do it. Well, he—it's uh, true. I, I, I mean, he—he he hasn't had a bad season. If you look at him, you know, statistically, he scored eleven goals in the league. He's got five assists. It's not bad. Um, the goal that he set up yesterday was was great play. I mean, he—he he actually started off kind of in the left back position, kind of drifted forward. Uh, Mata went with him first, but he got away from Mata, and then he just went past Carrick, who forgot to sort of. Mm. take the responsibility from Mata uh, and just walk through and set up a goal. It showed what he is good at, but then you just didn't really see much of him. I mean, I think that m- that's that might be his uh, his big advantage over Yaya Toure. It's very difficult for Yaya Toure to hide. Because he's a huge physical specimen. He's a very obvious presence out there in the field. And if he is kind of... Ugh, David you know, Silva could hide behind the corner flag. That's David Silva's uh, greatest attribute. Well, no one expects it of him either. I mean, Toure, it seems to me, is expected to score a goal and be the best defensive player in midfield and run the midfield. He's, he's expected to do everything because people look at him and go, well, he's, a, he's obviously got an all-round kind of set of capabilities. Whereas Silva isn't expected to do anything when his team doesn't have the ball. It's just like, well, there's no point. I mean, he could try yeah, tackling team, somebody and he wouldn't, he's not going to get yeah, it. His team are expected to play him into the game. Mm. I mean, the, the game was won from Michael Carrick playing in the exact area of the field that you expect to see David Silva and Carrick ran the game from there. Dave Hannigan joins us from New York. Dave, 2.4 million viewers in the US apparently watching Andy Lee fight back bravely for a draw against Peter Quillen. In your column on Thursday in the Irish Times, you set out the context of this night for Andy Lee. In fact, it was back on NBC and you talked a bit about the agent behind making that happen. Did he make, uh, did he make a big impact, do you think? I think he actually did. It was a strange fight because with, with no title being on the line because Peter Quillen failed to make the weight, it was a strange fight and Andy Lee almost started, you know, like a guy who wasn't quite prepared or had been affected by, you know, the fight now suddenly not being as important as it, as it was supposed to be. But I, I think he did his reputation a lot of good. Peter Quillen is a more higher rated boxer in America than Andy Lee and, you know, the rankings, the independent rankings would bear that out. And he gave a very, very good account of himself. And, you know, he may have drawn, but he also provided drama. He provided value for money. And again, you know, in terms of the cameras and handling himself in the media spotlight, did a fantastic job. So I think in terms of future promotions in America and in terms of long-term popularity in America, Andy Lee definitely helped himself on Saturday night. Yeah, it's a funny one because the crowd, uh, we've heard their reaction after the draw. and the, I don't think American crowds really take too well to draws. They're also cagey. 
uh, parts to the fight where bo- both boxers seemed a bit worried about the other's power <laughs> within with good reason because they were knocking each other down when they when they got in close. Uh, was there enough in the dramatic parts of the fight in the bravery that Andy Lee showed in his comeback to for it to be very much a, a plus overall, a plus mark for him from the American audience? I think it was a plus. I mean, you're dead right. There was a lot. There were long passages of posturing where both fighters were just keeping out and afraid to get in there and mix it. But you know, every now and again they would get in, and it would be fairly dramatic and spectacular. I think the the people who make the fights, the people you know, the, the matchmakers and the promoters. I think they will love Andy Lee because look, Andy Lee comes in. You pay him. You pay him the money, but he comes in and he delivers. Uh, you know, a night's entertainment. And, you know, to go 12 rounds with Quillen was excellent to, you know, to come back from the knockdown where, you know, I would have given anybody anything after round one that Quillen was going to win this fight quite easily. And yet at the end, Andy Lee is dancing around the ring, did a little bit of showboating, smiling, you know, generally, you know, putting on a bit of a performance as the fight kind of waned on. The, the big question, what did Sugar Ray Leonard think? He, he was on the NBC duty? I think Sugar Ray was... was Favoring Quillen was he? Yeah. In terms of, I think he was. Quillen was his man. But again, and this happened as well with, with Lee um, in the Karabakh fight. All of the TV people, the pundits, and all of the, all of the media, the American media, they love the way that Lee comports himself. They love the way that he just won't, you know, that he won't be beaten and, and you know, that he has this remarkable uh, streak of resilience and stubbornness, stub- or stubbornness within him. So, I, you know, again, he wins admirers every time. And, and the way the middleweight division is set up, you know, in terms of the way the top guys are afraid to fight each other, Andy Lee could do very, very well for himself here in the next couple of years. Was there a sense that, uh, or I'm sure there was a sense that some of the prestige was taken away, but how much of it was, you mentioned that Andy Lee seemed a little sluggish at the start of the fight, and I think he's said since that it was a weird feeling, trying to adjust to the fact that he was preparing to defend his title and suddenly he realises that, well, hang on, I'm still going to be champion no matter what happens here. And it took a while to recalibrate a little bit. In terms of the event as a whole, did it? T- how much did it take away from it, do you think? I, I think it definitely detracted from the event. I mean, NBC are breaking into, the, or, you know, trying to break back into boxing, trying to, set, you know, sell themselves as serious broadcasters of the sport. And it really made a joke of the whole thing. I mean, they had their heavyweight, Broadcasters, Bob Costas, who's like the face of NBC Sport. Whenever they have a big major event, he was in he was in the arena, you know, doing a piece to camera, and they were really trying to sell it. But then, as the fight began, they had to mention, "Oh, well, he didn't make the weight." And you're suddenly going, "Well, that doesn't seem very, you know, it's pretty unprofessional, and it demeaned it without question." Was there a lot and of criticism I, I of you? Sorry, go on, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I definitely think it affected Lee because he started terribly. He, he was, you know, almost. It must be terrible to prepare for something, you know, knowing you're putting it all on the line, and then 24 hours beforehand get told, you know, well, it's not quite going to be like that. Even if that weight loss or the, the weight issue obviously made Andy Lee a little bit, $125,000 richer, apparently, according to some reports. Yeah, that, that's how the reports go. Just on Quillen's role in that, I, fe- I found it strange because there, were, there was one element where he seemed to be getting a small amount of praise for, well, you know, he went off, he, he was a, a pound and whatever overweight and he went off and he tried his best, at least he tried his best to get down to the weight, which was a slightly strange way of looking at it, I would have thought. This is, it strikes me as hugely unprofessional for a guy who's had a tough existence and has, uh, through boxing, made a better life for himself. For him to, to turn up for overweight in the first place seemed, uh, seemed crazy to me. Was he, being, was he heavily criticised in the US for that? got some criticism, but possibly not as much as, as, as you think he's entitled to, and I, and I agree with you, I think he deserves a little bit more, I mean, you're getting, whatever, 625,000 to fight, um, to fight, you're, you know the fights, are, you know, the fight wasn't made two weeks ago, you, you have a long lead in time, it, it's really, this is your job, this is, your only job is to, tr- is to turn up at 160 and, and be ready to fight, so I think, you know, Quillen, he comes across as a flaky character, uh, he hadn't, t- in his in his defense, he hadn't fought for a year, but that, again, referring to what you mentioned in your intro, uh, that, that's down to the fact that he's an Al Heyman fighter, and Al Heyman is now becoming the, you know, one of the biggest 
biggest or the biggest name in boxing promotion, and Al Heyman wouldn't fight, wouldn't let Quillen fight against Karabov last year because Jay Z was involved in the promotion, yeah. and that goes back to the internal politics. So he had 12 months without a fight. Maybe you know got lazy in that time and had forgotten how to get you know down get down as, as quickly or as, as he needed to do. All right, we'll leave it there. Listen, Dave Hannigan in New York, brilliant stuff as always. Thanks a million. Trying to get a break. Roy should go right back to the body. That's where he's going to the body. Just imagine if you bought a ticket. Stop it, Frank. You can stop it any time. Arturo Gaddy's out on his feet. Frank Gaffetino gonna let him keep going. Gaddy doesn't even have the strength to tie Ward up. Ladies and gentlemen, Judge and Steve Weisfeld, season 95-93, all to the winner by majority decision, Irish Mickey Moore. Yeah, this idea that just because Quillen had been out of the ring for a year meant that in any way that's an excuse. Not that Dave was offering it as an ex- not that Dave feels it should be an excuse, but it is one of the ones that's being offered up uh, for him failing to make the weight is nonsensical, really. It doesn't matter how, what he weighed a year ago. <laughs> it's what he, what he weighed in the last few weeks leading up to the fight. You're, you, and he, the way he did it obviously didn't enhance his chances of winning the fight regardless. Nobody needs to be trying to lose a pound and a half in a couple of hours. Albeit, that has been done. I was surprised that once he got down that low, that close to it, he wasn't able to get just that little bit closer. Uh, yeah. Not being privy to exactly what he did in those two hours. Whatever it is, it's not very healthy. Yeah. Um, it's, just, it's one of these situations where you kind of have to ask whether there was another weighing skills in New York that Peter Quillen could possibly have hopped on perhaps three hours. I mean, if you could lose eight ounces in the two hours between the weigh-in and the second weigh-in, surely you would have thought... Right, move the clock back another three hours, weigh myself in the morning, see that I'm overweight, try and start wasting then. Mm. I mean, I just, I can't get over the unprofessionalism of that. I mean, it's like a football player turning up without his football boots. That's basically what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, I mean, and in fact, and even more, a, a footballer who only plays one game every yeah. six months or a year, and it's an absolute, it's a World Cup final, yeah, and he and forgets his boots. That's, that's the level of... Like, I'm sorry, stupidity we're talking about. Hop on your hotel room weighing scales. Or if you want to be unbelievably professional about it, bring your own. And that's basically your problem. I mean, we're not talking about him having to lose half a stone. We're talking about him having to lose a pound and a half. Maybe he did bring your weighing scales, but it was not calibrated correctly. (laughs) He thought he'd made weight and... Yeah, he had that crushing maybe sensation like, we've all had at various times, Ken. Or maybe he just completely made a mess of it. And Possibly more <laughs> that likely. Simplest explanation might be there. Correct. You can check out Dave Hannigan's Excellent America at Large column on Thursday in the Irish Times. Uh, congratulations to Andy Lee for, I was going to say, for winning that fight. It felt like you could see when the results were being read out. He looked really worried, I thought, beforehand, after the end of the 12th round and before the results. You could see Adam Booth talking to him and just trying to keep him, just keep him, keep the spirits up. They felt that they might well have done enough to at least get a draw then he gets it and he looks like he's celebrating more than Quillen is possibly because if you were thinking of it as a title fight you're, you would get to keep the belt regardless if it was a draw but also I'd say it was just the manner of the fight back and you can't appear to be too delighted with the draw but he certainly deserves to be pretty happy with it so uh, well done to Andy Ken we've got an Irish Times second captain's football podcast out now that's yeah <laughs> they have asked for that really well, you can laugh I'm the World Cup I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But I don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'm going to leave it there. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I will down to Anfield and we'll see them all. What are you doing down here, you surely man? Well, at Manchester Derby, it was probably the main football event of the weekend. A kind of a sideline event in a way, but the main event really, uh, in terms of action, in terms of stuff to talk about. So let's do that. And we're going to look ahead also to 
one of the Champions League games is this weekend. It's a repeat of last year's Champions League final between Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid. Lawrence Donegan was at Augusta and joins us now. Lawrence, I know you're travelling home at the moment, so we appreciate you taking the call. Jordan Spieth is the man. How popular a winner was he? It seems, seems like very popular. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. I was just coming through the security checkpoint out of the airport and the people behind me were talking about him and the people in front of me were talking about him. Uh, everybody seems very pleased with him. He seems like a all, you know typical All-American. Uh, the only disappointment kicking around was that he uh, missed that putt on the last uh, to fall back into a tie with Tiger's all-time scoring record. Other than that, he's probably uh, as close as golf gets to a national hero this morning. How much of that is, well, you say national hero, so obviously uh, the American golf fans were crying out for somebody. I mean, there have been a few pretenders in recent years, but it, it's they, yeah. they've politely applauded Rory McIlroy, and, and fair seem to have taken Rory McIlroy to their hearts, but really they, sure. they wanted an American. They want, they want Jordan Spieth to be the man now. Is the, uh, it is the most parochial country in the whole world, isn't it? Um, yeah, they do, and uh, he he really does fit the bill. He's got a, you know, he seems like a, you know, it was kind of interesting when he walked off the green last night. He, um, you know, he high fived about fifty people and hugged another seventy five. Mm-hmm. I mean, he seems to be, uh, you know, a prototypical, you know, one or three kids, mum and dad are there trying to raise out. Uh, he seems like a solid citizen, made a pretty nice, uh, actually a fantastic press conference actually and made a, a pretty good um, speech you know victory victor speech um, yeah he's a, he's a great player and he's been marked out for greatness for a long time a quick story uh, I think I was sitting in a press room somewhere maybe about four or five years ago and I was chatting to uh, Chubby Chandler the famous agent I think Rory had just won or you know Rory was bubbling up and uh, he said to me the next one watch out Jordan Spieth and I said, who in, who in God's earth is he? <laughs> so, he, you know, he's been a marked out for greatness. I think he um, he won a couple of uh, national junior titles in the States, uh, t- two of them, and I think only Tigers the, the, is the only other one who, who, who'd done that. So, uh, good player. The amazing thing to me is he's 21 years old and he's got a terrible hairline. I mean, he's, I've, I've almost got more hair than he, than he does. Yeah, we have been talking but, uh, about this. He, he he was spending a lot of time... We knew that victory was in sight when he started fix, taking off the cap and fixing the hair <laughs> in advance of the this, this stroll of 18. Rearranging what hair he has more so than fixing his hair, I think is probably better. Yeah, yeah I, I, I noticed that as well. I thought, oh my goodness, pal. I, I would just give up. Do, do, what I've, do what I've done and just give up and just uh, let it be, as they say. No, um, but as I say, unbelievable golfer. I mean, if you actually look at his, um, if you look at him technically, you know, his swing is a, it's it's not the finest. Uh, He's got pretty dodgy footwork. He's got a a queer grip. He's uh, not the best, but uh, what a putter. Um, I was going back and forth on Twitter last night with Hank Caney, Tiger Woods, his old coach, and he was just saying, you know, it doesn't matter. You you know, look at his record and he's the best putter on tour by a a country mile. Um, It reminds me, I I just wonder with that technique how long, how far he can go. I mean, he's obviously great and he's clearly going to win a few majors down the line. But, you you know, at some point, you know, technique matters. And, you know, it's the difference between, you know, being a Tom Watson and being a Ray Floyd. You know, it's different three or four majors or or eight or ten. That's, That's my only, you know, looking ahead. That's my only issue with him. Uh, you just wonder about that. But uh, he's, uh, yeah, he's impervious to pressure, clearly. I went out with a four-shot lead yesterday morning and finished with a four-shot lead. So, uh, And that's kind of typical of the guy. He, he never seems to... No moment is too big big for him, as uh, Hank Haney said. Some of the... Uh, we were watching this on TV, over obviously over here, and the players were all streaming in doing their post-round interviews, Phil Mickelson yeah. and these kind of guys. Being, being, they were obviously being very polite about the guy and he seems to be, he certainly is a young man who seems to be well regarded by uh, the other the other golfers out there. But in terms of what he was doing out in the course, I think Paul Casey in particular seems to be like, look, yeah. you've got to, this is crazy what he's doing out there. I've been out here for a long time. I've played a lot of good rounds. I've played with, I've seen great golfers out here and, and just so everybody's aware watching on TV, the other golfers are stunned pretty much. I'm, I'm, I'm slightly putting words in Paul Casey's mouth, but are amazed by what this guy is doing. Uh, yeah, um, although the scoring was generally pretty good. I mean, he shot at minus 18 and he only won by four shots. I, mean, I think what the Tiger shoot minus 18 and 97 and won by, oh, I can't remember, eight or something. Mm. You know, the, 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 this is about as easy as Augusta National gets in terms of scoring. Uh, I think uh, I was chatting to somebody last night uh, around the club and they were saying that uh, there was a slight react The setup of the course here was a bit of a reaction to last year, which was deemed to have been a bit of a dud and very dull. 
Um, so they tried to soften it up and uh, get, get a lot of birdies, uh, the only, which was a great plan. But the only problem was that speed came and, and blew the field away on day one. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah. well, it's, there's a new sheriff in town. I mean, this is what happens in professional golf. It's very reminiscent of what, uh, when Tiger came out and blew everybody away and then Rory came out and blew everybody away. I mean, people pay homage. I mean, professional golfers are a tough uh, you know, tough, tough breed, and they kind of they they can see so they they acknowledge somebody who's really good, and there's absolutely no doubt that this uh, this kid is really really good. Sets up really a great summer ahead. Uh, he's actually a pretty good links player. So you know, uh, the 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 U.S. Open at Chambers Bay is a, is in a kind of full links course, um, which is kind of you know it's an American version of a links course, and then obviously you've got St Andrews in the summer. Uh, so I would imagine, uh, you know, as much as anybody else, Rory McIlroy would be looking at that last night, and thinking, right, okay, there, I better get my, uh, I get my, better get myself in order here. This guy is a, uh, this guy is pretty good. Yeah, is he? Does he drive the ball long enough to to no. win repeat US PGA's or US Opens? Maybe with the exception uh, of this year. Well, I, I, I'm not sure about it. He doesn't say. I mean, he's a kind of medium. I, I can't. Remember, I think he was 48 and driving distance or something. But I mean, that doesn't necessarily matter that much. I mean, these guys all hit it far enough. He's not uh, short to the extent that's going to cause him problems. I mean, he's won. He can. He's proved that he can win anywhere. But uh, but no, I, you know, he's not going to overpower a golf course like say Dustin Johnson. But he's uh, he, he's long enough. Uh, I don't think that'll be a problem. And he, and his strength is is his short game, is which. I mean, he can get up and down from inside a dustbin. I think I don't know if you saw the his uh, up and down on Saturday night. Quite an important up and down, really, given that he double bogeyed the previous hole. Uh, and I think Faldo was on TV over here saying that's impossible in his usual pompous way. And uh, lo and behold, speed. <laughs> oh, it was an incredible shot. To be fair, I you know flopped it up to about three feet and and hold the putt. It was uh, that's kind of his game. Uh, you know, so when he gets into trouble, he's with his ball striking, which as I say is is his main issue. He he's able to get himself out of bother with uh, with this just outrageous short game, which that's his main advantage over Rory. By the way, I mean Rory would look at this and think, okay, this guy. You know, I'm nowhere near this guy in terms of short game. Uh, okay, I can drive the ball a country mile, but uh, how you separate yourself really uh, is is the short game, and, and this guy's got it. Rory uh, did have enough to finish fourth with the 66 yesterday. Yeah. How, 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 uh, there's no reason why Rory McIlroy can't put four good rounds together and win at Augusta, I assume. He's, he's done it in patches, and again this year he looked good at 15, times. 15 under for the last 45 holes of the tournament, which you'd have to say is pretty well. impressive. I mean, I don't know if you noticed him at the end. You know, he had his hat over his face. I mean, he knew that he'd coughed this one away. He uh, the big issue was was the first nine holes on on Sat- on Saturday. I mean, he went out and fought. Uh, was it fought Saturday or Friday? I can't. Oh, it was Friday. So one or the other. I can't remember. Um, and you know, it's, he, he's had, got this habit. You know, he, he comes up on a little bit of adversity at Augusta National, and and, and momentarily appears to chuck it. And, you know, suddenly a 36 becomes a 40. You know, if if he'd covered that stretch of nine holes in 36, you know, he would have been within two shots of speed. And you would have to say that would be something to behold, really, uh, Rory and speed together down the back nine uh, of a major championship. I mean, I would take take Rory, you know, sort of level pegging as long as... But, you know, he gave it away, and he's done this before. He has this... It's almost like a brain freeze, uh, and I would imagine when he's standing on the 18th green last night with his hat over his face, he's thinking, "What on earth was I doing? You know, why why didn't I just buckle under? You know, buckle up and 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 stick in there and and not ship away these shots? It was a it was a crazy crazy couple of hours, and it cost him. Any theory as to why that did happen? Why that continues to happen to him there and not necessarily <laughs> elsewhere? Oh, I do, but I mean, do, do you want a bit of pop child psychology? I mean, oh, absolutely. I mean, That's why I asked you the question. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's you know he's a he's a you know he's a beloved only child, and um, and what happens? I mean, I know because I was one, and my son is one. You get you know your parents are naturally loving, and and they you know they don't want you to oh if you're in you know you you tend to run away from adversity a little bit. 
you know, I mean, obviously that's a pretty silly thing to say about Rory McIlroy. He's done great things on the golf course, and and he's and he's his family's a great family. But you know, when you have helicopter parents around, they're very reluctant to let you fail. But what when you're a junior sportsman, uh, it's good for you to fail because you learn how to cope with adversity, how to bounce back from adversity. And Rory's pretty much since day one has never really faced that much in the way of adversity in a sporting context. And you just wonder when he gets to, you know, he's now 25 years old, and you just wonder when he faces, you know, adversity, you know, he comes back a lot. But occasionally he doesn't, and you just wonder if that's if somewhere somewhere in my stupid theory, that's where the, that, that might provide the reason. I don't, I oh, don't no, know. I'm, I'm fa- I know, Lawrence, I'm fascinated by this theory. But his, his loving parents, his, incre- his brilliant rearing, and the fact he's an only child doesn't seem to have been an issue uh, in, in some of the other tournaments. No, absolutely not. Again, I mean, it's not. A, it's not a feel safe theory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, I, I mean, I read a lot. I mean, my son's a pretty good junior golfer, and I read, I read a lot of this nonsense. You know, uh, and you know, it's a it's a theory that, that kicks around. Uh, that the great thing is for, for is for kids to fail. It does them the world of good. And and Rory, had, you know, when Rory was growing up, he didn't he didn't fail that much. Uh, but uh, again, who, who knows? He, you know, he's a great player, a great athlete. He's, he's, I mean, I would take him tomorrow morning against Jordan Spieth over eighteen holes, uh, without question. If they were teeing off level, um, but, but you know, Spieth, Spieth is a. He, I mean, he does remind me of those kind of nineteen seventies American gunslingers. You know, the kind of Ray Floyd's and Lanny Watkins and. Curtis Strange is, you know, not the prettiest golfer, you know, in terms of you know, technique or whatever. But my God, he gets the ball in the hole. Yeah, Tiger Lawrence is another golfer who didn't fail much as a youngster. He probably wasn't allowed to fail too often by Earl back then. But what do you think about where where he's at now? He said he's not going to be back for a while. I believe maybe it's just a passing comment he made after the Masters. What did you make of him? Um, I, actually, I thought he did pretty well. Really, um, I thought uh, you know everything was on the line. If he'd gone out on Thursday and Friday and shot two eighties, I think we might not have seen much of him ever again. Really, at this kind of level, he did great. I mean, he obviously, uh, you know, he didn't do. I think he was one over par seventy three in the final round. Rory, I think Rory beat him by seven shots, so that wasn't much of a contest. Um, but in the context of what what had come before, I mean, it was a fantastic performance. The only thing is, he, you know, he looks up at the scoreboard last night and he and oh, he, he, he's, been, he's clearly been working hard over the last couple of months, which he hasn't been for a, quite a long while. But if he's come out, if he's been working hard, he's got his game in order, and then he pitches up for the Masters and gets beat by 13, 14 shots, um, he must be thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to work a lot, lot harder. In the context of what had gone before, it was a terrific performance. Uh, the chipping yips, the, the much-heralded, are much mocked chipping yips, completely disappeared. So everybody was wrong about that, which will please him. But uh, less pleasing for him will be the, the margin of, um, you know, the, the margin between him and, and the guys who were at the top of the leaderboard. It was, it's, it's quite a bridge, to, uh, quite a gap to bridge. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, again, Tiger being Tiger, he'll, he'll do it his own way and. Uh, you know, he might think, "Oh, that's enough to prove everybody wrong." It just depends. Does he has, does he have it inside him to to push on again? I mean, he's clearly he's not a spent force. There was Mickelson. I think Mickelson's forty five, forty four, and he he gave it a good run. So if Phil can do it, and Tiger's given them five or six years, then um, you know, Tiger, if he wants to, could still do it as well. Just uh, depends if he wants it enough. Yep. Listen, Lawrence, I know you've flight to catch there. Thanks a mil. Okay. All the best. Ken, what do you think about Lawrence's spectacular theory regarding Rory McIlroy? Just to sum up, he was an only child. He was his parents did a superb job, but showered him with so much love 
and enabled him to be so successful from such a young age that maybe he doesn't quite have the dog in him, the bit of fight when, when the going gets tough. Now, I should say, Lawrence, as he said himself, was speaking as an only child, but wasn't 100% confident that his own theory would stand up to very close scrutiny. Has anybody ever done this before? Um, looked at all the golfers on the PGA Tour and European Tour and correlated their success with the number of siblings they have? I don't think so. I would be surprised. Well, Tiger. Uh, t- Tiger's an only child, isn't he? Uh, no, you have a sister. Oh, my apologies to yep. Tiger Woods' sister. Um, Jordan Spieth uh, uh, talked about how he'd been able to tell his sister that he won. That was the happiest thing about uh, happiest thing about his, his victory. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I... I'd be surprised, but I'm not an only child, so I have I can't uh, I can't relate to it. I don't know. Maybe it is that only children just feel as though they uh, they don't. You know, I'm number one, so why try harder? Maybe that's the attitude. Um, I always thought that that only children were spoiled brats. Uh, that's certainly the point. That <laughs> that's <laughs> the cliche. That, uh, that is the cliche. Uh, only child, Lars Dolligan appeared to be making about himself, Rory McIlroy. And uh, everyone, and well, every to, other. to all, to all uh, only children out there. You know, yeah, no, just... I, I, no, I think that they've got uh, there's an innate confidence there, Ken. Wasn't it the uh, well? That's that's common to all firstborn children, apparently. Yeah, the innate confidence. Um, well, it's not. I mean, it isn't, but uh, <laughs> it, it isn't really. But it's uh, you know you'll find that argument made. I mean, was this not something that happened in that? Remember, there was that uh, woman who brought out the book, the Tiger Mother, Battle Hymn oh, yeah. of the Tiger Mother, and one of the things was was about uh, because China had had a one child policy for so long, a lot of young Chinese people were only children, and she was essentially saying we need to knock a few spots off them because you know you know what I'm saying. There's a few there's a few spoiled kids growing up, and we need to. Uh, well, you're I mean you're relentless questing for glory. Is because your siblings are such high. I mean, they've achieved so much more than you. Yeah. Um, so you would definitely say that it's that's harder as well you. when the younger siblings have have eclipsed. They've you. also passed you out. Yeah. I mean, you're being passed out on all sides. Yeah. I mean, I suppose you could say that you've acted in your. You've played your role in that. You know, you have set such modest standards that they've been empowered once they've blasted. You know, straight past you in the life achievement scale. Yeah. That you know they feel like. Well, I mean, that was pretty easy. Um, you know what's next yeah. you know Ken's gone dead to us now obviously uh, we've taken care of him I always thought they might sort of turn around to, to give me a hand back up the ladder you know <laughs> he ain't heavy we I didn't uh, we didn't mention Tiger's injury on the ninth hole he hit a tree root during a swing and he rattled his wrists if you saw this a TV interview we did with CBS afterwards he explained the incident and said just a bone kind of popped out and a joint went out of place I put it back in Q much uh Doubting among golf fans around the world, mm. thinking he's just pleading for a little. I don't know what. I don't know what the doubts were. It looked pretty painful. Yeah, at the I time would. Uh, I mean, the guy did win a U.S. Open on a broken leg. So, I mean, I'm not going stress to- fracture. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm just saying there wasn't just a massive crack down the. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The you distress. It was just crack- the fibula. It wasn't the tibia. Or yeah. Whatever one is more serious. I don't know. Murph, we have our league finalists in the. We do indeed. In the game the- of football. Two teams that wanted to win a little bit more than the two teams <laughs> that definitely didn't want to win uh, in the semi-finals yesterday. I mean, this is... Who are the teams? Uh, Donegal yeah. uh, dutifully lost to Cork, right. 4-11 to 19 points. Donegal conceding four goals, which uh, would suggest that maybe they were, their heart wasn't quite in it. And uh, Monaghan losing by just a point in the end, even though the entire world suggested they were, they were going to lose by 20 points to Dublin. Um, it's weird, you know... This is a really good tournament. Uh, we have the eight best teams in the country playing each other uh, for a spell of nine or ten weeks. Everyone, all the rest of the teams are playing teams at around their level. Um, and then the closer we get to it finishing and the trophies being handed out, the less teams care about it. Even the teams still involved, you mean? Well, that, they're exactly the teams we're talking about. Right. Uh, the Donegal have a huge game against Throne on May the 19th or May the 17th um, in the Ulster preliminary round and you know that's their focus that's their sole focus I mean they in in France to Nicole, they'll be playing a division one team in May so there is that and Cork and Kerry aren't going to play another division one team until uh, the middle of July uh, Dublin aren't going to play another division one team until August and um, this is the this is the the problem in the inherent problem in uh, in the in the league setup as it is now is that we care more about it at the start than we do at the finish and 
you know, it's no skin off Dublin's nose and and Cork's nose because they know they're not going to play big games again until July or uh, August. Uh, so, you know, they, they see the benefit of winning it. But is that a big deal or is it just something that in this particular week around now, it's something that well, we bugs play, you a little bit? We played three tournaments. If you want to count the O'Byrne Cup or the FBD League um, uh, or the, uh, the Anglo-Celt or whatever, we played three tournaments. What is the point in the first, the first of those tournaments being written off because we've got the league coming up, and then the league being written off for the championship to come up, and the championship is by a mile the least fairly divided out uh, tournament of the month? It sounds a little bit uh, counterintuitive when you put it like that. Yeah, I mean it's, uh, and even then, you know, teams don't care about it, and yet down, uh, Joe Broly was writing in the Sunday Indo about how the Down County Board cancelled all of the first round of senior league games because Down are playing in a Division 2 final two weeks from now. I don't, I don't get this. Like, what has, How does it get less relevant as it goes on? I mean, what, is, what else is there for the teams to care about? Why, the, why, can, why does everybody not care about the only competition that's actually on? Uh, because uh, they're preparing for the championship. I mean, they're training heavily during the league so that they can be fit enough for the championship. I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for... Uh, Dublin and Cork it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever for the teams down the down the divisions I mean that's why those teams in fairness have started focusing on the league I mean that's Division 3 Division 4 they're the most important they're the best games that those inter-county footballers will play in all year and they're the, and in fairness to them their mindset is changing now but of course we don't care about them because it's just a league and it's Division 3 of the league Division 4 of the league Um when they get to the championship, they'll if uh, uh, Waterford lose in the first round of the Munster championship, their most of their best players will go to America for the summer. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's bizarre. It's, a, it's completely bizarre, and you kind of have to you you talk about it sometimes, and you say, right, well, get rid of the um, the preliminary tournaments altogether. Start the league in January, finish it by March. Start the championship in April. Have it finished in late July or August, as Broly was writing, as loads of people have been writing over the last three or four years. But I mean, it's kind of We'll we'll uh, make little changes here and there, but we won't actually make the make the call that needs to be to be said, which is this is the best tournament we have. Where we just don't care about it. It's, it. It's the best football is played in the league. If we if it was played at the right time, that's the that that the schedule in the league makes a lot more sense than the schedule for the championship. And yet we have it our space. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll finish on a positive note because there's a young superstar player. Well, I've, I've seen the future of Gaelic football. Go on, Go on, and it's Dan O'Donin. Uh, now Dan uh, probably could do without the pressure of being a YouTube sensation considering he's playing midfield for the Cork Miners against yep. Limerick on Wednesday evening but he was playing in the School C All-Ireland Final uh, for uh, I'll get the name of his school yes Kaloshta Gubnet uh, in Ballyvorney uh, they lost the game mm-hmm. to Kildare's Ord School Rathangan in Port Arlington on Friday evening but he ran the length of the field twice <laughs> and scored two brilliant goals and then it turns out that he'd done the same thing in the Munster semi-final as well. Uh, the goals are unbelievable. Insane. They're on the, the 42 I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing any of the winning Kildare players Murph getting on the internet today, for no. example. So and it just uh, goes to show, folks, if you're playing in a team sport, just try to make yourself stand out a little look bit. Look as brilliant as possible. That's, that's the key. Ken, you're enjoying watching it yeah. sold in through the defence there. Go <laughs> take us through the finishing here. stages. Well, he's just run... Oh my god. Oh, well he's just he's run from inside his own half just sort of started off uh, the whole team's the whole opposing team is more or less between him and the goal. Exchanges a pass, gets it back and then just takes off and kind of manages manages to angle his run pretty cleverly so he kind of just passes between everybody. There's another very similar one where okay, this guy's a threat from deep. <laughs> Say that. He is. He is a threat from deep. You can follow us on Twitter at secondcaptains, facebook.com forward slash secondcaptains if you want to pop us an email, secondcaptains at irishtimes.com. Thanks very much for listening to this one. Football podcast, as I mentioned, is out now featuring Manchester Derby and Madrid Derby and a few other bits and bobs like that. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Ken, and thanks for listening. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. <laughs>